Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan with the Balanced Parent Podcast, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest, Stacey Spensley of the Semi-Crunchy Mama on to the podcast. I'm going to let Stacey introduce herself first, and then I want to tell you a little bit about how I found her. But Stacey, I'm so glad to have you with me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Thank you so much for having me. I love to chat about all of these topics, so I'm really excited to get to talk to you about this. So I am Stacy, as you said, and I am the semi-crunchy mama. I have three kids. They are currently seven, four, and one and a half. My one and a half year old's having a verbal explosion and was up at three in the morning singing "But But But" this morning, <laughs> which was different. <laughs> but very cute, luckily. Um, But I'm a coach. I work with parents, mostly moms, but also families. And I work with people anywhere on the crunchy spectrum. So I also say also the crunchy curious. And I focus on self-care and survival strategies so that families can thrive. That's so great. You know, so Stacey, I found you when I was early in my parenting journey. My daughter and I had a very hard birth where I felt very out of control and my tendency to manage my own anxiety is to, to control, right? So when I feel anxious and out of control, I try to micromanage and control what I can. So you're a normal person. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so in that time period, I had found kind of the crunchy world and I really fell into it in a really like restrictive and controlling way. And that was really this movement that was is supposed to bring health and vibrancy and holistic well-being was not doing that to me. It was not helping me survive. And so when my daughter was probably about two, I think, and I got pregnant with my second, um, and our kids are the same age. So I found you and you just gave me permission when I needed it to be a semi-crunchy mama, to take what works for me and to leave the rest and to release control and that I would be okay if I didn't do it perfectly. So thank you so much for what you do and the support that you unknowingly gave me when I was a hurting new mama. That is exactly why I started doing what I was doing because I was trained as a health coach. I was a coach before I had kids, which I always say I'm so grateful for because it gave me 
so many skills and strategies that I feel like a lot of parents don't know that they need until it's too late in some ways. I mean, we can always still gain them, but I was just really grateful that I learned them ahead of time. Yes. Yes. So important. Right. And so I also have a lot of friends who are therapists who like, you're like, I should know better. And you, you know, you can't do it on yourself. Right. Right. No, I was a therapist too. And it took me a while to understand that all of the self-care that we were mandated to do in our therapy training program, like applied to motherhood. Like we heard over and over, you can't expect yourself to hold space in the room with clients if you're not also taking care of yourself. And like Mm -hmm. that applies to parenthood. It took me way too long to figure that out. But yeah, that's when I was pregnant with my oldest, that was what happened to me is that, you know, I was trained as a health coach. And so a lot of health coaching kind Mm -hmm. of falls into this kind of, you know, organic, purist, borderline orthorexic, restrictive, you know, world. And, you know, and when I was researching things when I was pregnant, then, you know, I felt like it was kind of these two camps and it was like super mainstream or it was like super crunchy. And this was before Facebook groups. So, you know, I don't know if you were on like the baby center forums. Mm -hmm. It was like the only place to find like, you know, it was like you got had like your birth month yeah forum and whatever and I remember there was like I was kind of exploring because I was like eh, it's kind of not maybe my jam and they had like a crunchy group and and I felt like all of the questions were prefaced with like I don't know if I'm crunchy enough to post here because like I want to yeah. feed my kids kale but it wasn't watered with organic pastured unicorn tears it was like <laughs> they, they didn't have any at the store and the closest Whole Foods is two hours away. And so I used regular or unicorn tears. Is that okay? Can I ask the cloth diaper question? And I was like, you know, but you know what I mean? I do know there's are very few places in the world where we are more vulnerable to shame and judgment than in mom groups, I think. Yeah. And so like, I was like, okay, you people are bonker doodles. Because, and like, I get it. Like, I'm, you know, they are doing the things that society's telling them they are supposed to do, which are restrictive and controlling and distracting and all of these things. And then the mainstream people have their own things to work through. But I was like, most of us statistically have to be somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And like, I am a nerdy researcher. Like, I will go down any rabbit hole happily. I'm like, ooh, I don't know that. I need to know the answer, which is great. I just tell people that my oldest son never slept, which is true. So I just read the internet all night. <laughs> <laughs> and so then other moms would be like, oh, I don't know about that. I'm like, oh, let me tell you about the six articles I read at four in the morning. So <laughs> I will summarize. It's really how it started. And, but yeah, and I wanted, I like, I just felt like that was so extreme on either side. I'm like, I don't want to hit my kids, but like, I feel like French fries aren't the devil. So like what, and I don't Is want- Is there I'm a like, space for me? Is right. And I, me? and I was like, I don't want anybody else to feel as stressed out about that as I did. And so I just started like- I was going to a breastfeeding support group when my oldest was little. And like I said, I, you know, my son was like a couple months older than all the other, like he was like in this, there was like an older group and a younger group. And he was like this like little Island in the middle. And I always felt like it was so helpful to have parents of babies a couple months older. Mm -hmm. We called them our crystal ball babies. (laughs) It's like, what are you going to be doing in like a month? What should we be preparing for? And so my baby was the crystal ball baby for these younger babies. And so I'd be like, oh yeah, well, you know, this is this developmental leap or like, this is when it's normal to start crawling. And so this is the window. And they were like, cause you know, when you're a new mom, you don't know anything, Mm -hmm. you know? 
And then like three months later, you're giving the same advice to people who were in your shoes, right? Yeah. Like you learn so fast because you have to. And I, so I just started posting stuff on Facebook for friends. I was like, because people would be like, can you send me that article? Mm. I'd be like, well, I'm just going to start a Facebook page so I can just post it there and everybody can read it instead of yeah. emailing it to six different people. And that's really how it started. That's great. And I think you just start the the picture that you just painted with a group of people raising their kids who are kind of at staggered ages and can support each other. Like I just had this flash of pain in my heart for folks who aren't able to have that right now. So I used to run a play group at my local university for student parents. Um, I miss my babies so much. You know, like I got to see so many cohorts of babies go through their first year of life coming to my playgroup and I miss them so much. I really feel for the moms and the dads who are becoming parents right now and aren't able to have those in-person support systems because we're not supposed to do this alone. I really, like, I just had this pang in my heart for all those parents who are transitioning to parenthood right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah, man, it's a rough time to become a I felt, parent. I felt that having a newborn was incredibly, I have a whole post on my blog about how, like, it's like, it's weird that having a new baby, you're never alone. And it's also one of the most isolating times of your life. You're so right. I literally just said that to my husband, that it's already one of the most isolating times of your life. And even more so right now, Mm -hmm. my heart just goes out to those parents with new babies at home. And I feel like it's so funny too, because I felt like my oldest, my oldest, I didn't know he was high needs until he was like 11 months old. Because mm. with your first kid, like you don't know, yeah. you know we, our friends who had kids didn't live here. Like this, that we didn't have any friends here with kids. So, you know, that was like my like baseline mm-hmm. baby. And I did not know that he was not your standard issue. Oh, no. I didn't know that the sleep function was extra. So oh, I kind of didn't actually believe baby slept until my third baby. Yeah. I always say like, people are like, but I don't know how I'd feel about a third. I'm like, I actually love my third baby. First and second ones, mm, I don't that's know That's a pretty recommend. dangerous roll of the dice though, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, I can't imagine, like, what is it like if you get two kids who both sleep? I have, I just don't have that experience. I mean, I guess it exists. It's just, I- They I do to, exist. I feel I, jealous of them. It my mind. But also, I mean, that's the thing too, is, you know, it's like, there's nothing that we personally do that make babies sleep. We can help babies sleep. Some babies don't. Do you mean if I had fed my daughter food made with grown with unicorn tears, it could have been better? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Organic pastured unicorn tears oh, yes. only. Only, right. Okay. From this MLM <laughs> brand, DM me for details. Just no, that. no. So true. It's so true. That's so prevalent. So we're talking about sleep and exhaustion and isolation as we've transitioned to becoming new parents. I'd love to just have a conversation then about how do we go about not feeling so overwhelmed. If we're lucky enough to be parenting with a partner, is there a way that we can, you know, even in during a pandemic when we're all at home together, is like, mm-hmm. is there a way for us to not feel isolated? Is there a way for us to find a balance and kind of equal roles or know what our roles are? I'd love to have that conversation with you. Yeah, I think it's been really interesting. Like I said, we have three kids now and my oldest was super high needs. And at the time when my oldest was born, my husband, he's a hotel manager. So he's, you know, hotels and hospitals never close. You know, it's just one of those careers where they just, you know, weekends and evenings and overnights and all sorts of weird hours. 
and he was also working 40 miles away. And so, and we live in Southern California, so traffic is an issue. So he would be gone 12 to 16 hours a day, most days. We averaged it out. He was working an average of 75 hours a week. And I had a high needs newborn who had a 27 minute sleep cycle and didn't sleep longer than two and a half hours until he was two and a half years old. So Talk about I exhaustion. was, I was so tired. I did not know how tired I was. Yeah. Like my mom came out at the beginning and stuff, but like, you know, it, that's such a tender time, no matter what, it's such a steep learning curve because mm-hmm. you're just, you're figuring out how to be a mom. You're figuring out like what alien bodysuit you're wearing right now and how it works. And, <laughs> you know, you're squishy in places you didn't know you had squish and you know, you're just all hormonally and fluidly leaky and all of these things. And my husband was, he hadn't quite been at the company for a year. So he didn't even have paid time off. So he took off a week unpaid and then had to go back to work. So, you know, I was just there kind of figuring this out. And so a lot of it, I felt a lot of pressure because I've been able to breastfeed all my babies and all this kind of stuff, which was great. But, you know, my oldest I found out later as a sensory kid. So breastfeeding was also really soothing for him. But again, like with your first baby, you just do what you need to do. And so my husband was gone a lot. And so I was just the default parent for a lot of reasons. And I think especially like I also admin a large breastfeeding support group online for local families. And, you know, when you're breastfeeding, like he can't breastfeed. And even to have him give a bottle, it's still work for me because I still have to pump. And I had an oversupply to manage, like, you know, it's, and you're just figuring this all out. And we had trouble in the beginning, had to see an IBCLC, all this stuff, right. That, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of us go through. So he wasn't home. And then he was, he worked super hard. He was in a really stressful position. He was working all these long hours and he was, he was commuting. And so I was like, well, like when he's home, I want him to be able to see the baby, but I also, he needs to be able to sleep. So he doesn't like get in a car crash and die. So I was like, so you know, I'll do the overnight parenting, like, you know, I'll change the diapers at night because I'm awake nursing him anyway, and this, that, and the other. And it made sense at the time. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I'm like, why did I torture myself? You know? And like, I don't think it was the wrong decision. I think it felt like the right decision at the time. And in retrospect, I was like, that wasn't me suffering did not help. It didn't serve your family. Yeah. Yeah. And we've cloth diapered all of our kids too. And because I'm too lazy to go to Target. That is why I cloth diaper. I'm cheap and I'm lazy. It is not, I'm not cloth diapering at anybody. They are not organic unicorn diapers, you know, but I think it's okay to make the choices that are right for your family, whatever they happen to be, you know, all the permission. But like that, I remember in a, in a group I'm in on Facebook, somebody was like, you know, for those of you who, who cloth diaper, like how do you set up diapers for overnight changes? you know, do you do, you know, whatever. And I, and I said, like with my first, this is what I did with my second. I just kicked my husband until he changed the baby's diaper. You have to learn. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So here's my question. I had the like beautiful fortune of transitioning into parenthood while I was getting my PhD in marriage and family therapy. You know, so like I like was citing the research that showed that there is a huge dip in marital satisfaction after you have your first child and that that dip doesn't start to recover until that kiddo is three years old. I knew like what was what I was getting into. I knew that one of the biggest conflicts that you would be having in your relationship were going to be about parenting. So like 
my husband and I went to couples therapy, like preemptively while I was pregnant to smart. Yeah. So smart. So like, that's like always like my, if I'm working with a couple who's transitioning, I'm like, go to therapy now, you know, and get all of this worked out now. And basically what you do in couples therapy when it's preemptive is you just learn new communication strategies and you start planning. So like, if you could go back in time or you could give advice like to a couple who is preparing for their first child, like what are the conversations we should be having? What would you say to them? Let's go time machine. Let's be good. Right. (laughs) I I will say that we do have the benefit that my husband and I were married for either six or seven years before we had kids on purpose. We got married, which now we're like, oh my God, we were babies. I was 23 and he was 26. And so we had we had that experience of being a couple before we became parents. Cause I know a lot of people who they get married and have babies relatively quickly. And so they're still transitioning into a married couple. Like it's, you know, they uh, they're, don't they're have married a- identities. So like there's yeah. identity shifts. There's lots of identity right. shifts that we go through in adulthood and becoming like long-term committed partners is one of them. Becoming yes. parents is another one. And if those identity shifts aren't fully, you know, completed, it can be right. very difficult to move through the next one. Right. So, so we had that benefit that we had some time to do things as a couple and grow as a couple before we added kids to the mix. So, which again, it is not necessarily the right choice for everybody. That's how it worked out for us. And if we'd had kids earlier, it would have been fine, but the way it worked out, I'm really grateful that we planned it and did it that way for us. So we've had pretty good communication skills for most of our relationship. And so I think What's interesting is then like, you know, I've read the books too. Have you read How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids? I haven't yet. I keep seeing that one. It's like a clickbaity title. I read it as a book club with my Facebook group before I closed it. And it's actually really good. She basically goes to therapy for you. Oh, and it was, it's really interesting, but I've always told my clients, like you will never love or hate your partner more than once you have a baby with them. And they're always like, no, no, I could. Oh, oh yeah. Like there will be resentment. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just look at them and like, you, you know, they're snuggling with the baby and you're like, oh my God, you look the same. And I love you so much. And I cannot believe how big of a jerk you are because you're sleeping right now. And I am not. So I think like just understanding that, like what hit me a lot was like, you know, when you're pregnant and you're emotional, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, interesting. And then like after birth, like the roller coaster of hormones is intense. Mm-hmm. And I, my husband and I, something that I'm grateful for, this I wouldn't change, but it took us a little while to get to this point. But again, the baby didn't sleep. He was working a lot. We made a rule that nothing we said after 3 a.m. counted. Oh, interesting. Because we normally have really good communication. Like we're not, we don't fight really. Our biggest fight in our marriage has been about artichokes. And I'm not kidding. But, oh, that's not true. We fought about him showing the, watch, letting the kids watch too much TV when I was out of town a couple of years ago. That was the new one. But before that, we don't generally fight. We usually do have open communication and discussion, but we both said something we regretted in the middle of the night when we were frustrated and exhausted. And if we had taken those personally, it would have been really challenging. And I do remember, it's been funny because he's been, I told you before we recorded, he's been furloughed since March. So he's doing a lot more Not that he's not a hands-on parent, but he's just home all the time now. And he's really taken on a stronger parenting role. And I don't know, six weeks in, you know, we were in the kitchen and I gave him a hug and I was like, hey, honey, do you remember when our oldest was little and you came home one day and you were like, and you asked why the house was so messy and I stabbed you with my eyes 
And you were like, well, you just had the baby here all day. Like, what were you doing? And I told you maybe you should reconsider what you'd said if you wanted to live. And he looked really, really guilty. You know, it's hard to understand if you're the parent who gets to leave. And that's the thing is there's always guilt. If you leave your kids, you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm not spending time with my kids. But then also you're in control of when you go to the bathroom and Mm -hmm. when you have some space. And so I think it's really important for both parents to have a chance to have time alone or self-care, even if it's in small ways and discuss how you're gonna get that and what that looks like and know that it might change. I think that's the other thing is like, I like to ask people like what they wish they had known or that friends had told them about having Mm -hmm. babies. And it's like some of the stuff like, I wish I had known this, but so much of it is stuff that you can't know until you're in it. Or like, you can't, like, I could never imagine how exhausted I would be. Like I, even now, like it's kind of hazy, Mm -hmm. but like you could not have described that level of exhaustion to me in a way that would have penetrated. That's hard. And I think like with newborns, the, the things that I see come up a lot for clients too, that I think we navigated pretty decently. So I I think there are a lot of things we did do well, but I I will say like one thing is that what happened is that I had this big aha when my son was, I think he might've, he was one and a half or two. And my husband was working, like I said, he was working a lot and he was hourly at the time, which for his company was probably a terrible idea. But I feel like in that stereotypical gender role kind of way for heterosexual couples is like his idea of, he was like, I have to provide harder for my family. And to me, that's working more, making more money so that we can buy food and pay for our mortgage, which is all great. And I finally had this aha because he was working, again, hotels never close. He was working these weird hours. And then he'd work until like 11 o'clock at night was his normal shift. And so he'd be like, okay, I think I'll be done on time. Well, then he'd get stuck at work. I'd be like laying awake, waiting for him to get home so I could see him. And he wouldn't be there. So I'm like, well, he's probably dead in a ditch. And so now we have a system where he texts me when he leaves, no matter when it is. I'm like, my phone's on silent and I'm awake waiting for you. Like, I can't go to sleep until I know where you are. If I'm expecting, he's like, oh, because he was trying not to bug me, but then I couldn't sleep. And so like, we had to work that out. And then what I, this big aha that I had was when that would happen, as I'd be like, hey, like, I was expecting you home. And he'd say, well, yeah, but then a big group came in and like my coworker would have been by themselves and I didn't want to like leave them. And finally what clicked, I was like, yeah, but when you stay to help your coworker, you're leaving me at home alone. And so you're saying that your coworker having a hard time is more important to you than me having a hard time and seeing your own kid with your own family. And that's, I didn't know that that's like what was bothering me. Mm Because you're never mad about what you think you're mad about, right? And he was just like floored because he's just like, well, but if I stay, I'm getting overtime. So I'm bringing home more money. And I'm like, I don't need more money. I need more help. I need more you. I need you to physically hold this baby so I can take a shower. Mm-hmm. An extra $20 does not get me that. And his schedule was changing every week. So like we couldn't even get consistent childcare. Like, you know, it was this whole mess. What ended up happening is that he ended up applying to transfer to another department because Mm -hmm. he finally realized how stressed out I was. And he thought he was doing that. He wasn't doing this maliciously. No, He thought he was doing the right thing, but it's not what I actually needed. And so he ended up getting a job in another department where he still had pretty long hours, but he had consistent days off. Okay. So let me just take a few pieces out of, of what you just said. So I think that there's two really important things that you said. One is that we have to get clear on what our true needs are. 
Yes. That until we know exactly what we need from our partner, we cannot expect them to meet our needs, right? Like we can't expect them to read our minds. First of all, we really can't expect them to read through the line, like between the lines and, and know what we need when we ourselves don't even know what it is that we need right? Like we have to be clear on that and we have to get vulnerable with it. We have to connect it to a place of softness and of vulnerability. And then we have to communicate it clearly with compassion to our partners and ask for what we need. Right. Yeah. And I think a really big key was that like, when it occurred to me, I was like, I was floored. I was like, holy crap. I I did not think of it that way. And so then when I brought it up to him, like it always sounds like so cheesy because I was like, oh, that's like not how people talk, but sometimes you need to create that space. And so I was like, Hey, can we sit down and talk for a few minutes? Like no phones, like, you know, just talk for a minute. Cause like you said, it's like that three years, you know, it's like, you're just in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And you know, I had to say like, Hey, like I had this realization and I want to share it with you and the I statements. And like, it wasn't like you work too much and it makes me mad. You know, it was like, Hey, I realized that when you say this, this is what I hear. And this is how I feel. And this is what it means. Like, this is the meaning that I make out of it. Right. Right. Yeah. I, like, I love Brene Brown's, like the story I'm making up. I think that it's wrong for us to think that people don't have these conversations. Like when that's what it sounds like in my marriage, when there's something that's wrong and we're kind of gripey with each other. Like I say like, Hey, can we sit down and talk about something like consistent checking in is so important. Like scheduling conversations with each other, scheduling free like phone free or screen free time with each other and being really thoughtful and intentional about like what we need to communicate and how we're going to communicate it so that we can set them up for success and ourselves as a, and our, like our couple relationship up for success. Those things are, I think are so important to do and they don't come naturally, right? Cause we didn't see that grow. I didn't see that growing up. I don't know yeah. if you did. Maybe you had magical unicorn parents, but I didn't. And I mean, I had wonderful parents who loved each other and I saw lots of good things, but I certainly didn't. I saw seething resentment like bubbling under the surface. That's what I right. saw. And I think there's this, this idea that like kids shouldn't see us fight because it stresses them out. And the idea is that kids need to learn conflict resolution and yeah. like, should we be yelling and throwing things at each other? No, that's like not healthy for us either. But they can see us like parents have to have this united front. Yeah. No, like, you know, we can disagree. Like people will always disagree. But the idea that either we can discuss what we disagree about and then like still repair that relationship is really powerful. Yeah. Disagreements are a, a given. They're a part of all relationships. It's how the disagreement happens. And so before I went to graduate school, I ran a research project that looked exactly at the way that parent conflict influences child development. And the results basically are if it's destructive conflict, like poor conflict tactics, it's bad for kids. If it's mm -hmm. good conflict tactics, it's good for kids. Right. And if we teach parents how to have good conflict and good communication skills, we can mitigate the effects of the destructive conflict that they've seen before mm -hmm. and put the kids on a different path. I mean, it's like our, the way we communicate and have disagreements is hugely powerful. And I think sometimes it's tempting. I don't know about you, but when I'm working with moms, particularly, I have to kind of sometimes make it about the kids in order to get them to do the good thing for themselves. Yes. <laughs> you know, 
but it's also just good for you. Like, it's also just good for you, like as the person to be able to have conscious, connected, compassionate conversations with your, someone who you love dearly, who's an attachment figure for you, mm-hmm. you know, like, that's just good for you. It's good for your kids to see it. So if you have to like do it for the kids, great, do it for the kids, but really it's just good for you too. And you deserve it. And it's interesting too, because I think like a lot of the conflicts I see with, I feel like we manage to avoid them, but I see that come up a lot with parents that I work with or in Facebook groups. And a lot of it's like when the husband is resentful or the the husband is like, they want, they want mom to stop breastfeeding or stop co-sleeping or whatever. They said that the baby's too attached to you. And you know, it's interesting because I always try to reframe it as like, Hey, like it drives me nuts when people will be like, well, you know, your husband should have a say too. And I was like, well, yes, but. And so it's the thing is one thing is a discussing that before you have kids. Cause one thing is it's like, okay, like if you want to breastfeed, like that's not entirely 100% under your control. There's a lot of factors that go into it. You know, you could have anatomical issues. You could just have, you know, a traumatic birth. You could have, you know, there's- The baby there's, can have anatomical issues. Like there's lots right, of things. There's, you know, there could be trauma in your, there's, you know, I'm just, this is from my experience from breastfeeding. But I was breastfeeding. And so it's like, you know, we discussed like I would breastfeed and we didn't really talk about like how long or whatever. And so I kind of sarcastically to my husband when my son was approaching two, I was like, well, honey, I guess I'm supposed to ask you if you think we should keep breastfeeding. And he's like, well, isn't that between you and him? It's your relationship. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but I think what I've realized is that a lot of the times is that when husbands say that, what they're really saying is that I miss being intimate with you. And that not just sex, but like I miss intimacy with you because mm-hmm. so often with a newborn, we're so touched out, even yeah. with a toddler. And so it's like, I don't know if you ever work with the love languages, but like a lot of men are very high in physical touch. Yeah. And since we get, for most moms get so much physical touch from our kids. What I found is that most women after becoming mothers, physical touch goes way down and acts of service goes way up because I don't need you to hug me. I need you to take out the trash. Yeah. That is what shows me that you love me. Yeah. That's what's sexy. <laughs> you're, you're picking up the slack yeah. around the house. And so a lot of times when men say like, I want you to quit breastfeeding, they're saying, I want more intimacy with you and don't know how to be vulnerable and don't know how to ask. Right. I want more connection. Yes. I want to feel like I take up space and time in your mind that I matter to you. And I think it's hard because like biologically we're wired to keep those babies. Like, I'm like, sorry, husband, you can keep yourself alive. You're an adult. I mean, like I have to like, you know, and for my husband, he's, he's got more quality time. Luckily we're both zeros on gifts, which is perfect. Like that's good for us, but quality time is much higher for him. And I had to reframe it as like, sitting on the couch, watching an episode of TV on Netflix after the baby was asleep, wasn't a waste of time. It was Mm -hmm. investing in my marriage. So everybody who's listening, Stacey is talking about the five love languages. It's very helpful in understanding how you feel loved and how you show love, because oftentimes we show love in a way that's instinctual for us, uh, but not necessarily matched with how our partner or the important people in our life receive love. My husband is also very much a time spent person. And so sitting down and watching a sports game with him, to me, feels like the height of a waste of my time. But to him, feels very much like love. And so it's absolutely not a waste of time. Like sitting down and watching the Tigers do something with baseballs, which is not my thing. Sporting the sports ball. Right. Like, you know, he's my thing. And so I will happily spend, you know, a couple hours doing that. 
Yeah. And like, it's not even pretending that you're invested in that. It's showing that you care that he cares. Yeah. That he's my thing. Like baseball's not my thing, but you are. And so I, here I am. I'm with you. You know, I think that those are important things to have. And I, I feel like the conversation that we're having right now is if you can, and it's early enough, have these intentional conversations before, but it's also not too late to be like, we, we've never really talked about this. You know, things shut down. We're all at home together. And I took, you know, I took on all the, these new things that I wasn't expecting to do. You're doing new things too, but did we ever have a, like a conscious conversation and come to a decision about who's going to do what? And if it's what we want and if like the way things are divided up are really serving us as a family like it's okay to have those conversations even in the midst of it it's it's never yeah I told you I have a podcast as well and I told you I have an episode with Janet Denton House who's a marriage coach and we talked about in that episode we kind of broke down how we sort of divided up chores with our husband and like the kind of strategy we took towards that and it's interesting because we did that my husband and I had done that years ago and I think it's really helpful to like sometimes especially like if you birth a baby and you have maternity leave and you're home, then mm-hmm. you become the default parent automatically because you're the one doing it. And often they go back to work sooner. And so then it's harder when, like, if you go back to work or become a stay-at-home mom, if you weren't before, things like that, it's this dynamic shift as mm-hmm. well that can be tricky. And sometimes it's that mental load that we talk about. We're doing a lot of invisible labor. Yes. And sometimes it's making that labor visible so that you know what people are doing. And it's interesting because with each kid that we've had also, like with the first kid, like I did the vast majority of the parenting because I was home. Then with the second kid, he had to parent the older kid more so that I could do the baby things. Mm-hmm. because I was breastfeeding and, you know, needed to sleep and recover from childbirth. And then with the third baby, that was a whole new thing because with two kids, you can, with one kid, you can pass the buck with two, you can divide and conquer. And with three, someone's always outnumbered. And so with three, he ended up taking on a lot more housework because I would often end up with two kids. And then once you, know, my oldest was almost six when my third was born. And so like, he's much more independent than a baby or a two-year-old. So he could at least color or read a book or do some Legos moderately independently if I had the little ones. And so my husband could like do dishes. And it was funny because he did take on a lot more housework and not even explicitly, but it just had to be done. And I kind of started doing less and less, kind of like, I will admit we have two cats and we have since before we had kids. And when I was pregnant, you know, you can't scoop the litter box, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely that person who I have not scooped. A, I've scooped a litter box twice in eight years. Because even after I had the baby, I just, I'm just like, I'm just not going to go back to doing yeah. that. I mean, there's, I think that there's room for like conscious, intentional conversations. And then like, if something's got to give, like sometimes you have to do, like I, I went through a time period where I had extreme like hormonal issues and I was really like needing to like dial back and rest a lot. And I just stopped doing laundry. Like I did my laundry, but I stopped doing the kids' laundry. I stopped doing the house's laundry. I definitely stopped doing my husband's laundry. I just stopped doing it and it got done. Like he does it now for the most part. And I like, I'm better now. So I'm picking up, you know, and we're doing it more as a team. Um, But that was never a conversation. Like I just stopped doing it and he picked it up. But the, I think there are some couples who that wouldn't happen. We would just Mm -hmm. stop doing it. And then the other person would get it would pile up or, and then the other person would be like, why aren't you doing it? You need to do it. And that's when an overt conversation I think is really important to have. Yeah. And not just about the topic, but about like, are we in this together? 
are we a team or aren't we? You know, and like that overt conversation is what my husband and I figured out in therapy before we, we became parents. You know, I mean, I think that there's several different levels of conversations that are important to be having and in an ongoing way too. Well, it was interesting because like I said, he started taking on a lot more housework. Like I was doing the, because of his commute, he didn't get home until sometimes after dinner time. So I was doing all the cooking, which I like to cook. It's, I don't like to cook with three kids yanking on my ankles, but like, you know, I don't mind cooking. But so he would do all the dishes and stuff like this. Well, then he was kind of doing more and more and I just kind of didn't say anything. And then one day I was like, I just, I was like, Hey honey, I feel like I just want to check in with you. Like, I feel like you've been doing most of the housework, which I really appreciate. I just want to, like, do you feel like you're doing too much? He was like, no. I'm like, cool. I'm going to continue not doing the stuff that I hate to do. I hate folding laundry. I hate it. I don't want to do it. And then the other thing is like, we have kids who are a little bit older. And so like, you know, with the baby, they're smaller and less mobile and less destructive. But also with older kids, it's like, what do you want to model? Like, are you modeling that only moms cook and clean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> My 20 month old, she's at that really funny age where she just goes around pointing at things and saying nouns all day. And she'll follow me to the bathroom, which is fine. But then she'll point at this bottle of bathroom cleaner and she says, Dada. Oh, because daddy cleans. <laughs> daddy uses the bathroom cleaner. He's Dada, Dada. I'm like, oh. that is correct. Daddy cleans the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, I think getting really clear and intentional about what we want to model for our kids too is so important. And I think that these are all really like, that's what conscious parenting is about, right? Becoming aware of what are our deeply held and deeply ingrained beliefs and are they ones that we want to pass on to our kids Mm -hmm. and what we actually like getting intentional about what we want to pass on to our kids. What do we want them to know about themselves, about parenthood, about being in a family, our values. I think it's so important to get intentional in that way. Well, I would actually love to hear your take on this because this is my made up theory, but I have, I, I run when I can, I run in-person monthly mother's groups and I have a lot of people who come who most people are also in therapy. It's complimentary, but have traumatic backgrounds. And it's like, if you have, if you did not have great parents as role models, Like you don't know what a quote unquote good mom looks like. So you're kind of building that from scratch. But I also have this, this theory that I feel like, because you know, know the research says that people in, even in very egalitarian marriages, once baby comes into the picture, Mm -hmm. people, it's suddenly it's the fricking 1950s. Right. And it's like shocking because it's like, you know, we're very equal, especially like if mom made more money beforehand, Mm -hmm. And then is home for a little while or steps back at work. And suddenly it's like, you know, like my husband, like, well, why didn't you do more housework? I'm like, I'm not the housekeeper. We don't even have a housekeeper, yeah. but like, we both live in this house, you know? So I'm like, why didn't you give birth to the baby? Like, <laughs> that's not fair either. You have zero stitches in your genitals. Thank you very much. So, you know, but he's, my husband has a very large melon and so do his children. That's all I'm going to say. But I feel like, again, like we we talked about earlier is like that, that relationship role of like being a, a husband and wife, you know, in my experience, you know, being a boyfriend and girlfriend, like people who get married, they're like, it's not going to change. It still does feel different once you're married. And then like once you become mom and dad is I feel like a lot of us don't talk about kind of what we think those roles are. Mm-hmm. Like we might know what husband and wife look like, but if we don't 
know what mom and dad look like. I feel like a lot of men in particular from talking to my clients, they expect that once you are a mom, you will do the things that their mom did or they wish their mom had done if they did not have a great mother. I mean, cause they're, you know, people who legit like are absent parents or on drugs or, you know, whatever it was, mm-hmm. you know, so, but it's either like they have some like June Cleaver idea of what you're going to be Or like, I'm in San Diego, we have a lot of families where they have, you know, Mexican ancestry and they have a very, I love um, Latinx parenting for breaking this down, Yeah. but like, you know, but stereotypically have this very like machismo based culture where like kind of got that toxic masculinity feel, but also mom is very in control. But like part of that control is that she does a lot of stuff for her kids. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, there's this expectation that you're now going to do all this parenting and dad isn't because that's what their, their family looked like, you know? And so then if you are expecting to go in from your egalitarian relationship to an egalitarian parenting structure, and he's like, oh, well, mom does 95% of the work and I take the kids out for ice cream on Saturdays, like, and you don't, explicitly talk about that, that's when you're going to have problems. I so agree. And I, I, there's lots of different ways that are out there, like to set you up for success, to have those conversations. I really like the book by John Gottman um, and baby makes three. It really is helpful in helping you think about that. And that's a book that like, when I work with people who are preparing to welcome um, a child, I assign the dad, if they're in a heterosexual couple to read, or I assign to like with my same sex couples to the parent who is kind of seeming like they won't be the default parent. I give like the person who is, you know, usually there's one person who's reading all of the parenting books and stuff. So I give it to the other person as an assignment to read. Because I I mean, I think like we all have those things. Like I have the growing up, my dad did all of the handy stuff around the house and he took care of all like the trash and the recycling. I absolutely have that expectation in my house. I, I happen to have a husband who is happy to do those things and that's great for me. Or like he take he's has his PhD in accounting he takes care of the money like I'm that was what my I saw growing up with my dad I'm very happy for some of the traditional gender roles to be played out in my relationship but not without intention not without a conversation not without like really looking at like this is not habit this is intentional we're choosing this for our family um and I think that is the important piece if like traditional gender roles work for you and for your family like great but if they're not working, we, we got to have the conversation. I always, I always heckle my husband. I'm like, well, you're welcome to breastfeed the baby all night. <laughs> he has not yet taken me up on that offer. I mean, and like, and it's, it's okay. It's okay to do like what works for you as a family, but if it's not working, then that's when we ha- need to have those conversations that I think are, are really important. And the trade-off right now is because he is home. Normally he would get up, he was leaving for work at six in the morning. So he'd get up before the kids were up. So, you know. I didn't get to sleep in. So now I've been sleeping in. Yeah. Because I'm up at four in the morning nursing and I go back to sleep and it's 6 a.m. And I'm like, go get dad. He'll feed you breakfast. With my second, when he he stopped, he quit nursing abruptly when I was pregnant with my third, but he wanted me to get up with him in the morning. And so my bride was, I was like, dad will go make you bacon. Like, I don't make bacon. Only dad makes bacon. 
That's awesome. Well, Stacy, thank you so much for your time today and having these like really important conversations about how we can be more intentional with how we divvy up the roles of parenting. I am so glad. And I hope it doesn't come across that my husband and I have this perfect relationship that like we have this perfect idyllic communication strategy. But the other thing is that, you know, we just work on it every day and, you know, we've had to work out some strategies. Like we have, you know, we text each other or Facebook message each other to keep updates. Like if like right now I'm actually working at a friend's house because I, I can't be in my home office because my three children are at my home. And, um, so, you know, he sends me updates, like when the baby is napping and things like that. So that like, I want to know that things are going well, but he doesn't want to bug me. So we have rules about like how often he should update so that I'm not worried and that he's not on his phone too much, you know? So it's, it's always this dance of figuring out what's working, what's not working and knowing that we're both trying to improve and we're, and like, I can get really critical. So I have to make sure that I'm not micromanaging him, but mm-hmm. also my mantra is he's not psychic. So making sure that I'm asking, like, I need him to check in and like, so that again, he's not maliciously withholding information, but I don't want to worry about the kids. Like, okay, again, like, are they all dead? And that's why he hasn't messaged me. (laughs) Like, you know, and so knowing what we both need and that we're both trying to find the best system that works for both of us. Yeah. And that that's a moving target. Absolutely. will change as your kids grow and as you grow and change, you know, there's like the, it's an ongoing thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and every relationship is, I mean, we are yeah, so yeah. different than when I was 23 and now I'm, I'll be 38 at the end of the month. So, you know, that's, that's a long time mm-hmm. to, we've done, a, had a lot of different experiences and had to navigate a lot of different situations and, you know, being 23 and being on our honeymoon versus being 35 and having our second kid is like, we know ourselves better. We know each other better, but we don't necessarily know what's coming next either. Right. And that like what it takes to be like a resilient couple then is not knowing what comes next, but knowing that we can always turn to each other and we can always have the hard conversations that we need to have to kind of move us into the next phase of life. Right. Yeah. And we've definitely had some conversations recently about kind of what we're looking for because he's, he's been furloughed long enough that we're like, what's coming up next. We don't know, like, does he need to change careers? Does he, do we need to move? Like there's a lot of things up in the air and that also, you know, having with adding the third baby, like that newborn phase, that's a season. And mm-hmm. it, it kind of sucks, you know, but like also acknowledging that like, Hey, our relationship is not where we want it to be right now. And right now we're kind of stuck in this hole that we're going to get out of, but like, we're still committed to getting out of it, but we know we're not like, it's just going to take some time and we still love each other and we're still on the same team. Yeah. And I, I think that that all comes back to that, like being really intentional and active in the process that you can't just let it happen. You know, you have to be paying attention. Well, thank you so much, Stacey, for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. 
And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.